And so we come to the last day of 2020. And unfortunately you can't, we can't gather together. Uh, so it's online. I'm going to preach from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 11. And I've chosen for my theme, 2021. 2021, light after darkness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you the Most High God. You order and ordain all things. You work all things according to the counsel of your will. You see the end from the beginning. And you say, my counsel shall stand. All that pleases me, I will accomplish. Our God is in the heavens. All that he pleases, he does. And we bow before you in Humility, Lord, humbling ourselves before you and under your mighty hand, waiting for you to exalt us at the right time. We pray for grace as we, as we listen to the preaching of your word this afternoon. <clears throat> Amen. So light after darkness, uh, that was the motto of John Calvin and later of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, really, after darkness, light. Uh, the Latin phrase they used was post tenebras lux, after darkness, light. And that was, on, that was inscribed or imprinted on the coins in Geneva. Or Geneva and, and it can still be, be seen today, post tenebras lux at the Huguenot, Huguenot Monument in Franschhoek in the Western Cape. It's as if these Protestant reformers wanted to say, you know, the Catholics have held us in darkness, they've kept us in darkness for a thousand years because they've hidden God's word from the people. It wasn't translated and wasn't preached. And now after this darkness, God has brought light through his word and the preaching of his word. And in, in a very small sense, we can say that 2020 was, was a dark year. It was darkness. People died of COVID and other causes. Uh, very few people attended their funerals. There was a lockdown worldwide. The economy took a nosedive. Businesses closed down. Many people were left without jobs, unemployed. <clears throat> Some people were stuck in other countries. They couldn't come home. And then those who were sick lay very lonely in hospital beds. Old people were under lockdown in old age homes. They couldn't receive visitors. And this was really a challenge to churches but after darkness light and i don't mean that 2021 will be necessarily be a better year and an easier year than 2020 but i am trying to say that after the darkness 
After a dark year like 2020, God shines His light. God gives hope to His people. So there is comfort after affliction. And we see it in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 11. So first of all, we can look at, at comfort and then second at affliction. Verse 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Now I'm going to give some sub-points here. So the main point, number one then, is encouragement. And then a sub-point here in verse 3, we find the God of encouragement. So if we look at a tree, uh, let's say a yellow wood, then you'll have roots and a trunk and tree bark and branches and, and leaves. And these are just a, a few parts of the tree. So if you put them together, the tree consists of these parts. These parts make up the tree. It's not the same with God. So if we speak of God's love and His holiness, His eternity, His omniscience, His wisdom, His righteousness, and so on, these aren't parts of God. God doesn't consist of these different parts. If you put them together, they do not make up God. God is one. God is one in His being. He's one in His essence. So when we speak of His love, that's who God is in His essence. He is love. He is holy in His essence. He is eternal in His essence. Not a little bit plus a little bit plus a little bit makes up the whole. But God, God is complete in His love, holiness, wisdom, righteousness, omniscience, and so on. And so it's the same when we come to this subject where we read of God's encouragement or God's comfort in verse Three, he's the God of all comfort. Comfort is not something God merely does. He is the God of comfort. That's, that's part of, not part of, that's who God is in his essence. The God of comfort. He's the God of mercy, says verse 4 to us, or verse 3 to us. Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. He's the blessed God, in verse 3 in the beginning. Uh, the Greek word blessed really there means uh, happy a joyful God. God is the source of all blessing. He's the source of all joy. As John Piper says, He's an unshakably happy God. And there are many verses that prove this. Where we see God saw everything that He had made and it was very good. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. God is pleased not with the strength of man or the legs of man or the strength of the horse. But with those who hope in Him. God rejoices in His people. He sings over them. The Father delights in the Son and the Son in the Father. God delights in His people. He finds joy. It's a pleasure for Him to do good to His people. He speaks of His beloved Son with whom He is well 
pleased. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. You see the father running toward the prodigal son. There's a party in heaven. There's joy at one sinner repenting. Jesus' joy becomes full in us. So do not only see the dark side of COVID and the lockdown. Yes, there are many dark sides to it. But do not only see that. Also see God who is with you in the fiery furnace and in the lion's den and in the valley of the shadow of death. He is with you to comfort you. And so we should praise this God despite, in spite of the circumstances. We should thank God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In all circumstances we should be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Ephesians 5.20. And then we should thank God that He's sovereign. Nothing can happen outside the sovereign and wise and loving decree of God. Even the new or the, this new level of lockdown that didn't catch God off God. And God will work these things together for the good of those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. And we know this. We know this because He is the Father of Jesus and through Jesus He's also our Father. Verse 4 or verse 3 still. It speaks of Him as the Father of mercies the God of all comfort, it speaks of Him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He's the Father of mercies to us. So it's through Christ He becomes our Father. And then obviously, as you see in the verse, He's also then the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that He has been from eternity. He's the eternal Father and Jesus is the eternal Son. And then concerning Jesus' human nature, the moment Jesus became man, the Father also became, became His God. So He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. My God and your God. My Father, your Father. John 20 verse 17. And then we read of Him as the Father of mercies. The, the Greek word there speaks of a very, very deep emotion. A very deep compassion because of the suffering of others. So, so if we take that, if we just take that phrase, the God of mercies, God is not apathetic. God doesn't ignore our suffering and everything that happened in 2020 that was difficult. No, but God sympathizes with us. Remember, God himself became man. He understands our suffering. In all their afflictions, he was afflicted, it says, even in the Old Testament. And how much more than you, when Christ becomes man, when God becomes man, he's a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, Hebrews 4.15. And this, this compassion of God, it's part of his character. It's part of who he is. He's the God of encouragement. He's the God of endurance, Romans 15.5. And so God is as full of mercy as the light is full of, or the sun is full of light, or even more, says Thomas Watson, the Puritan. And this, this mercy of God, that's God's normal way. He's, the, he's a God, the, God of all, the God of mercies, Father of mercies. That's just His normal way, the way He works with His children. Psalm 119, verse 132. He asked the Lord to be merciful to him, as is your way with those who please you, or with those who obey you, with your children. Let me get the, the verse and quote it properly and not misquote it. Psalm 119. Verse 132, it says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. That's God's normal way of working. He's not a father of wrath, 
toward his children. He's the father of mercies toward his children. He's not the God of condemnation toward his children, but the God of mercies. So for God to be angry with his children and to punish his children, that's a strange work to him, says Isaiah 28 verse 21. And Paul even uses a plural, the father of mercies, plural, mercies, to show just how abundant these mercies are. They, they overflow. He's plentiful in redemption where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. His anger is for a moment, his favor for a lifetime. So everything that God allows in the believer's life, that God brings in a believer's life is mercy. Mercy, your salvation, that's mercy. God forgives your sins, that's mercy. His provision is mercy. His encouragement is mercy. His comfort is mercy. Giving you new strength every day, that's mercy. Your temptations, God allowing that. And your trials, God allowing that to draw you nearer to Him, that is mercy. When He protects you, that is mercy. Everything God does in the life of His children is mercy. He's the Father of mercies. And as this God of all comfort and the Father of mercies, this God of encouragement, verse 3, He really comes and He stands right next to you to help you. That's what the word comfort means. It means the one who comes alongside. He calls you to, next to His side. He comes and stands next to your side to help you and encourage you. Now, what would you feel like if in this year, 2020, during all these trials you went through, what would you feel, what would it feel like if, if Jesus came and he sat right next to you and put his hand on your shoulder? Well, let me tell you, he is indeed personally here. In a very personal sense, he is right by your side. He's the God of comfort. He comes right next to you. He doesn't send someone else. He doesn't send an angel to comfort you or give you a message. God himself comes. He's the God of all comfort. He comes and he stands by your side. The spirit of grace and of, of God and of glory rests on you when you go through suffering for the name of Christ especially. Another subheading, the second one is encouraged in order to encourage or comforted in order to comfort. That's verse 47. Now, when God created massive trees, sh shady trees, He didn't do it for the trees. He did it for humans and for birds and for animals. And in the same way, God doesn't comfort you just for yourself. He comforts you so that you can now comfort others who, who experience the same trials. Verse 4. God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 6. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort. Reminds me of a story of Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon went through a very deep time of depression, of dark depression, and it was really difficult. And during that time, he preached a sermon on the words, on the verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it felt so real to him and experienced it in the depth of his being. And he preached from the heart. He preached God's word. And 
Afterward, a man came to him, and the man was in such dire need emotionally. It was like he came from some asylum, some madhouse, and he was desperate and needed God's help, and God used Spurgeon through that sermon and through personal counsel to help the man. And five years later, the man spoke to Spurgeon again and said, you know, after that night, I'll never return to the darkness. I've been walking in sunshine all this time. So Spurgeon was comforted so that he could comfort others. Martin Lloyd-Jones, very, very hard and harsh attacks by the evil one at a time in his life. For some months this went on and he found no spiritual comfort in anything. It's like nothing helped him. And then a few times God did lift him up a bit, but the attacks were fierce. And eventually the Lord helped him through all of this and Ian Murray, the biographer, writes that that after that, Lloyd-Jones was used of God many times to help Christians how to withstand the evil one and fight against them. So you see again, God comforted Lloyd-Jones so he could comfort others. The same with the Apostle Paul in this passage. So God let Paul, he let Paul go through very hard times so that God could encourage him, so that God would encourage others through the Apostle Paul. And that not only for the, to the, for the Corinthians, but, but for Christians through the centuries. Believers have found comfort in the words of the Apostle Paul. God allowed him to suffer, and then God comforted him, and then he could comfort others. And apart from God comforting us through His Word, He also comforts us through the Lord's table. He comforts us when we eat and drink in faith and we pray to the Lord and remember the death of Jesus for our sins. He comforts us in, if, when He answers our prayers. He comforts us in the body of Christ by being part of a congregation when prayers are answered and, and when, we, when we comfort one another, encourage one another, speak a word of, of hope to each other. And the Lord has enough comfort for every believer in every situation. There is not a single trial that falls outside the, the, the umbrella of God's comfort. Verse 3 says He's the God of all comfort. Verse 4 says He comforts us in all our afflictions. There's enough comfort for every single trial and suffering. Now you are going to suffer if you follow Jesus. And you will suffer abundantly. There will be lots of it. Verse 5. We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. You, if you follow Jesus, you are on a path where you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Christ. If Christ is persecuted, you will be too. Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom. And Paul understood this. You follow in the steps of Jesus. Jesus' footsteps, they go to the cross before they go to the throne. But just as the, the suffering is abundant, so also the comfort is abundant. Verse 5. We share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And that, that, that comfort that is so abundant, it's not only in this life, it's also after you've died and you go to heaven. The comfort is abundant. Luke 16.25 Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal, said the hymn writer. And because Jesus himself suffered, he knows how to comfort us. Because verse 5 says, through Christ, 
we share abundantly in comfort. Christ himself is the one that comforts us. And his comfort is for believers in any trial, any trial. Obviously not trials caused by sin, but trials for the name of Jesus and trials in the Christian life, there is comfort for us. But it's especially for, for those who suffer because they want to get the gospel to unbelievers. They want to share the gospel with unbelievers. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Paul wanted to get the gospel to people. He wanted to get to the Corinthians. He wanted to help them in their spiritual growth. And so, so because of that, you suffer. Sometimes you're thrown into prison like Paul was. Paul went through a whole list of sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11. So this, this comfort is it's for those Christians who they become ill because they, they don't have a church building there in Indonesia, but they go out under a tree and perhaps it's raining and they get ill because they preach the gospel or perhaps you get malaria. You catch malaria you, in taking Bibles to Mozambique or discomfort is for the missionary who loses a baby because India is not very hygienic. This is for the believer who, who crashes into a cow at night because they're on their way to the trans sky to evangelize. So these are the kinds of people. They care more for the salvation of other people and the growth of other people and the perseverance of Christians to the end than they do for their own safety. So verse 6 again, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. We want you to grow. That's why we are willing even to suffer for the sake of the gospel. 2 Timothy 2 verse 10. I'll endure anything and everything for the sake of the elect that they, will, they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It reminds me of a 14-year-old boy called Chen in Cambodia and his brother is Chem. C-H-E-N and then C-H-E-M. So these two brothers, the 14-year-old Chen, um, there's war in Cambodia. This is in the 1970s. And he's in a refugee camp on the, just outside the border of Cambodia. And then he asks the British missionary, please, will you go back to my village? No one there has ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to go and tell them. And the missionary says, I can't. The missions agency I work for will never allow it and there's war and there are landmines and there's, there's soldiers and, and all kinds of things. And after a few days, this 14-year-old Chen, he's got stomach cancer and the doctors have just told him he's only got a few months left to live and he says to the missionary, I'm going. I'm taking my brother with me. And so he, he goes the 40 miles into Cambodia through jungles, through... Uh, minefields, danger of, of enemy soldiers, but he gets to the village, hands out gospel tracts, preaches the gospel to them. They're so surprised. And then he comes back and a few kilometers from the border, before he gets back to the refugee camp, he dies. And his feet are all covered in mud and blood and it's bruised and skinny and bony, but it's beautiful feet. Beautiful feet that took the gospel to his own people. Now most of us, we're not missionaries. But there are other ways that, we, that we'll suffer. That we'll suffer for 
the salvation of others, the growth of others, the encouragement and comfort of others. Just in a small way, for instance, just giving up your bri and not having your bri because you're going to visit a sick believer and perhaps a, an older believer in an old age home just to encourage them and you can't have your bri or maybe give your savings. All your savings give to an, a poor believer or a missionary or a Christian who's lost his job. And that, by doing these things, that will also help you to not focus on, on all the trials of 2020, but rather focus on the Lord. Focus on loving your neighbor. And then you'll see how the Lord uses that to lift you up. So you're helping others, but the Lord through it lifts you up. And He encourages you. And this encouragement is only for those who wait on the Lord. It's only for those who patiently endure suffering. Verse 6. Middle of the verse. If we comfort, it's for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. And I know the Lord's going to do it for us. I know the Lord will comfort us. How do I know it? Well, verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. Paul was certain the Lord will comfort them in their sufferings. And I'm certain the Lord's going to do the same for us. Why? Because that's His character. He's the God of all comfort. And He doesn't change. He does not change. As you share our sufferings, in verse 7, you will also share our comfort. Alright, so that was encouragement number one. Number two, this is main heading number two, afflictions or sufferings. Verse 8 to 11. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened, burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Again, some subheadings. The first subheading. God will give you something that you cannot bear. Verse 8 and 9. I remember visiting a lady who had gone through very, very difficult trials, and I tried to encourage her, and I read first, first read 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, that really speaks, speaks of temptation. And, uh, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted above your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape, so that you may be able to endure it. And then I hadn't even finished talking and she said, yes, I know, yes, I know. God will not give me things that are too heavy to bear. He won't give me something I cannot bear. And, and I could see that she was, she was hurting. And she didn't understand. Yes, people say God won't give you something you can't bear, but it feels like this is unbearable to me. But she hadn't given me a chance to finish, so next I read this verse, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, <clears throat> where Paul says we, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So I said, I said to her that in trials God will give you things that you cannot bear. <clears throat> 
he will do so. And let me just explain what I mean by that. The Corinthians, they knew Paul went through suffering. In verse 8, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the affliction. In other words, they knew of the affliction, they just didn't know how serious it was. And he had suffered suffered previously in Asia. Asia there is not the continent, it's the western province of modern-day Turkey, with uh, the capital city was Ephesus. And so Paul had gone through very difficult things and trials in Ephesus, Acts 19, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, 16 verse 9. It was really hard, but now it seems here that that there was something the Corinthians didn't know about. Something that was so hard, they had no idea. And so then, therefore he writes verse 8, it it just felt as if this burden was so crushing, it was going to destroy them. And Paul thought this is the end. This is like the death sentence, verse 9. We're not going to come out of this. But that happened. That happened. God overburdened them almost. God allowed that. Why? Verse 9. So that they would not trust in themselves, but rely on God who raises the dead. That was the only one who could help them. Only that power that can raise the dead could help Paul in this, this trial and through this suffering. And that's still how God works. As long as you trust in yourself, your abilities, your gifts, your intellect, your wisdom, maybe your education or your plans or your money or whatever else, as long as you trust in anything or anybody else except God, then God will not do great things for you. Because if God did great things for you in those circumstances, you would take the credit and you wouldn't give Him all the glory. But when you're really in dire straits, when you're really in need, when you're really in a place where there's no other way out and you don't know what to do, then God answers. Then you call on the Lord. Then you trust in the Lord like King Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So that's when verse 9 comes. We rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. <clears throat> and your importunity is God's opportunity. Where you're really weak and you'd, you'd have no strength, but that's God's opportunity. God will get himself glory and God will help you. So God will allow you, yes, to come in circumstances where it is too heavy to bear. But that is so He can show His grace, His wisdom, and His power. And you can glorify me or glorify Him. Psalm 50 verse 15. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will help you and you will glorify me. Second subheading here is suffering. Yesterday and today. That's in verse 10. A biblical counselor once said, I read this in a book, where the counselor said, a recurring sin among Christians, a sin that we do again and again, is that we forget God's goodness. We forget His goodness. So He helps you in a trial, and then you get through it, and when the next trial hits you, you're in dire straits and you run around, you're all anxious. Because you forget God's goodness. And what he did for you in the past. Paul was not like that. Paul saw how God saved them from a deadly peril. From suffering that almost caused their death. In verse 10. And that gave him hope that God will help them again. God will carry them right to the end. God will solve this problem completely. And finally verse 10. God delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. So what is your crisis? What is your trouble? Whatever it is, give it to the Lord. And remember how God helped you in the past. And then you ask Him and you trust Him to do this again. 
And you trust God will be with you in 2021 just as He was with you in 2020. Verse 10 again. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. It says so in verse 11. He will deliver. He will deliver. Don't trust in the government. Don't trust in the World Health Organization. Don't even trust in the vaccine, whatever your views are on the, on the vaccine. Don't trust in Donald Trump, hoping if he can be the president, things will be better. Don't trust in better circumstances. Don't trust in anybody or anything else. Trust in the Lord. He will deliver us, verse 10. How does he do so? And that brings me to the final subheading under point two. Prayer and thanksgiving in suffering. That's in verse 11. Some people think that they love their neighbor because they don't do them wrong. Well, that's true, but the Bible also says, it does not only say don't do, don't do anything wrong to your neighbor, it also say, do, says do something right to your neighbor. Do something good to your neighbor. And according to Paul, one way in which we do good to our neighbor is when we pray for them when they suffer. Verse 11. You also must help us by prayer. And the Lord uses your, your prayers and He uses my prayers to help our brothers and sisters through crises, through sufferings, through afflictions, through trials. You must help us by prayer. And many will give thanks. In other words, God's going to answer this. Acts 12 verse 5, Peter was in prison. They prayed for him. God answered it. Philippians 1 verse 19, Philemon verse 22, pray, I know I'm going to be delivered from prison through your prayers. And I want to encourage you to pray for your brothers and sisters, rather than influencing them negatively. <clears throat> yes, because the government closed churches, but casinos are not closed, and movie or theaters aren't closed, and conference centers aren't closed, and restaurants aren't closed down, and taxis can have full capacity, but look at what happens to the church. So yes, I think the government is wrong in that. Even though they say, yes, but it's for the economy. So it sounds like at least if you give money, then that's fine. You can gather, but if you don't give money to the economy, you can't gather. All right, so we can get all negative about it, but wouldn't it be so much better if we encourage one another, if we pray for the governments to be saved, for the president to be saved, if we praise God for his goodness despite the lockdown, despite the trouble, if we praise the Lord, if we share the gospel with the lost, wouldn't that be so much better? So rather see how can you help others, how can you pray others instead of just moaning and groaning and complaining. Verse 11, you must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So for those of you who are part of our church, I want to I spur you on to take our church directory and, and pray through two or three pages every day. Every day, pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for your brothers and sisters. And then when, if, you, if you've gone through the book, start again. Please remember, by praying for others, you help them. Paul says so in verse 11. By not praying for them, well, you're not helping them. 
Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, said, Do not let others suffer by your neglect of private prayer. Do not let the church suffer. Do not let any particular believer suffer by you being found seldom in your prayer closets. Paul, James said, You do not have because you do not ask. So let us pray for one another. And then if God answers us, verse 11 says, Let us thank the Lord. And so in this way, you're not only sharing in their crises, their sufferings, because you prayed for them, you're sharing in their joy because God answered you. You rejoice with those who rejoice. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And we saw this again and again and again in 2020. We prayed for one another in this church. And then God answered many of those prayers, and we thanked the Lord together. And that's one of the ways in which God blesses us and comforts us like all the previous verses we read of God's blessing and His comfort. That's one of the ways God blesses us, is through prayer. Verse 11 ends, the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And then also note at the end of verse 11, the prayers of many. And middle of the verse, many will give thanks. And so, because of that, I want to I spur you on to join our prayer meetings. Or whatever church you're part of, Christian, if you're part of a Christian church, biblical church, join the prayer meeting. Start a prayer meeting. If you're part of our church, join the prayer meetings. And for the next two weeks of lockdown, we'll, we'll pray over Skype again. Join us. And please also learn finally here that, that these Christians wouldn't have prayed so much and they wouldn't have thanked God so much if Paul didn't go through suffering. And what about our congregation? Would we have prayed so much? Would we have seen as many answers to prayer? Would we have given thanks so much if it wasn't for COVID and lockdown? And please remember that when you're tempted to just see the dark side and the negative of it all. See God's hand in your suffering. God uses your suffering to come close to you, to comfort you, to equip you so you can encourage others to teach the congregation, to teach the church, to pray for one another, and to cultivate a people that will be full of thanksgiving. Like, like in 2005, our church experienced this. A man in our church was terminally ill with cancer, and um, I'd, I'd read to him 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, if we suffer for your comfort and salvation... And I asked an older pastor about the verse, and he said, do you pray for him? I said, yes. Does the church pray for him? Yes. Do the elders pray for him? Yes. He said, you're going to see it in your church, how God strengthens your church, how people grow spiritually, how the church is unified, the unity is strengthened, because you're all praying for this man. God is using this man's illness to strengthen the church. And the man is not even aware of it. So I hope you can see how sometimes, sometimes, we learn more from a sickbed. We learn more from trials sometimes than we do from a sermon. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word again. Week after week, Sunday by Sunday, we heard your word in 2020. And again, on this Thursday evening, 31 December 2020, thank you for your faithfulness, O Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen.